I'm Speech Thomas from the hip-hop crew Arrested Development. On the new VPM podcast, Track Change, I take you behind the walls of Richmond City Jail, where I help four men record an album and hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Subscribe to Track Change in your podcast app. When Ahmed al-Sariya and his brother Amjad were little, they lived in Baghdad. They would watch American TV shows and movies whenever they got the chance. And sometimes they would have to wait until way past midnight to see one. Or even like, my brother falls asleep, wake up, wake up. And we put water on our faces because it's, um, it's hard to get these movies or like to come to, you know. Or certain times they, they bring it, you know. One show they got used to watching was Extreme Home Makeover. You know the one, where they pick a family with a heartwarming story and help them build their dream home. And what they do, they take the family on the bus to a vacation, and they do that, you know, while they're building their house. When the bus brings the family back, it parks in front of their renovated home, so that when they get out, they can't see the makeover quite yet. And then the bus pulls away for this big reveal. And the family is shocked and happy. In 2006, Ahmed and his family rode a very different bus. We took any bus just to skip the war. The bus has no seats, the ride, lo- the ride was long. The journey actually took a few days. Difficult, you know, in hot weather, hot weather. Eventually, they arrived at Al-Walid, a Palestinian camp in Iraq on the border with Syria. So as we uh, deport the bus, the bus was hiding the tents and we were behind the bus. So that moment came to my mind and my brother's mind. And I looked at him, he looked at me and said, do you know what I was thinking? And he said, do you know what I was thinking? We both kind of laugh and broken smile. All I can hear is move that bus. Move that bus. And the bus pulls away and we saw the, the cam and this is our new house and it was really shocking and it's it was really hard, you know, like, oh my God, I'm going to live here for the next few years. I can't believe it, you know. I don't know how, where, how long I will be there. So it was, we hugged each other and like, it was sad and funny, I guess, moments. I don't know what to say, like, because he, I know what he was thinking before before even telling me, and he knows that too. You're listening to Resettled. We tell the stories of refugees resettling in Virginia and the milestone moments that shaped their experience. I'm your host, Ahmed Badr. In this episode, we're going to talk about mental health and building towards resilience. And just a heads up that there's some audio in this episode that's difficult to listen to. When people think of refugee trauma, they probably think of the trauma that forced them to become refugees in the first place. For Ahmed, that was war. That's trauma in your home country. And then there's the second layer of trauma, experienced in the process of leaving your home country. For Ahmed, this happened in the refugee camp. 
This audio is from a video he recorded. He took a lot of videos while he was at the camp, just kind of documenting daily life. But this one stands out from the rest. The camera shakes slightly as Ahmed runs towards some sort of commotion. Me and my friends, we we respond to these calls. Like we we just hear voices yelling and stuff, screaming, and we just go running towards that. The tents have caught fire. Plumes of thick black smoke rise into the sky. Some people run looking for water or cry out to loved ones. We have knives. We jump to other tents, cut the net, take the babies or the people out before the fire get to it. And it was like a domino effect. One tent would catch fire, and another, and another, and another. Because once the fire happened, and the tent would, like this, would go, take the whole tent. Eventually, the fire was put out. And so Ahmed came to the U.S. having two types of traumatic experiences, one in his home country and one in leaving his home country. And those didn't magically go away once he was resettled. Even after arriving in the States, he recalled moments where he would jump under a table when he heard a loud noise, thinking there was a bomb explosion. Ahmed's new life in Charlottesville brought extreme isolation but it also put him on his path towards resilience, both for himself and for his community. On today's episode, we'll hear how Ahmed worked through a third type of trauma, the kind you experience during resettlement in a new country. After nearly four years, camp life had become normal for Ahmed. Hot weather, desert landscape, tents, no fridge, just a cooler you might use to go to the beach or camping. So when he arrived in Charlottesville, Virginia, it was quite a shock. First time I slept, I wake up and I look up the ceiling. Oh my god! Like I can't. I was. I thought that I was in a dream. I went running to the. I went running to the door and window and look outside. No, I'm not in a dream. This is real. You know. <laughs> and Ahmed didn't stop dreaming once he realized he had actually landed here. He had big plans. I thought, like any any other guys who want future education, have a better job, and all that, have a family someday. All of this was set in my head. But for the very first few years, Ahmed spent a lot of time on yet another bus. This time going to and from work. As a refugee, you have to support yourself because we left everything behind. Just our clothes and couple bags. We came here, nothing. So we have to start from the zero. He's the second oldest of four brothers. So he had to pitch in to support his parents' wage. The resettlement agency first matched him with a restaurant job, but he wasn't selected after the interview. So they found him a job at a car wash. It wasn't exactly his dream, but he had to accept any opportunity that came his way. And the bus didn't always run when Ahmed needed it to. But he still had to get to work and back. By the time the bus gets out, sometime at, at night, it would be so late to get home. And you have to work up again in the morning. Mm-hmm. So you have no time to rest and sleep. 
and this is why it was everyday routine and it was really put some depression on me that i what i'm doing like this is the same thing every day every day i don't i can't learn english just couple words uh i always work in garbage wheels windows wheels windows that's the english i know that's it Ahmed's dreams soon felt like a distant reality. He wasn't making progress. The harsh routine of bus to work and work to home, knowing limited English, having limited sleep, meant he had little time for anything else. He didn't have time to make connections outside of his family or meet anyone his own age. And his parents were overwhelmed. My father, I see my, sometimes I see my father sitting in the corner with his a book and you know doing some the expenses and the bills and and he smoked a lot he what before he, before he said once i get to america i want to stop smoking instead he started smoking two more packs a day back at the camp ahmed's father had been lively and social the community elected him to speak on behalf of the camp and he would ask people from the UN for supplies and for help when they faced dire situations. Ahmed's father was responsible for voicing the needs of thousands of other refugees. And he actually earned the nickname Angelina Jolie because he was so good at outreach. He even met with Jolie when she visited the camp in 2007. And so it was hard for Ahmed to see his father in this way. Meanwhile, Ahmed's mother struggled to connect to family and friends back home in Iraq. She would talk with them on Skype and for a few moments the gloom on her face rippled into smiles and gasps of excitement. But then tears came. That's the only way we communicate and I see them crying and all of it. I try to you know, put my hand on her and it's okay and all that. Sometimes sometimes I try to end the call because they keep crying and uh, and i can't stop that like i want to stop it and don't stop it at the same time not being able to support his parents in the ways they needed support contributed to ahmed's third layer of trauma which piled up onto the layers that came before it ahmed's family didn't have time or space to acknowledge the pain of the past and they were struggling to move forward he knew he was safer in charlottesville but each day's monotony ate away at him but in 2012 everything changed the day started out like any other ahmed was at the car wash his coworkers would wash the cars and then bring them to ahmed to wipe them down wash wipe wash wipe wheels windows car in car out so as he bring in out he instead of he parked it he put it natural so the car rolled down towards me and i stuck between uh the two cars yeah and my leg my right knee kind of got pushed more and he was kind of shocked He's like come on come on come on he keep the car keep pressing me keep pressing me yeah and finally he picked it up the accident left ahmed with fractures and bruises It took months of physical therapy to recover. But the accident also gave Ahmed a new opportunity. He couldn't work, but he could break out of his rut and start again.
Before the break, we left Ahmed al-Suriya at a pivotal moment of his resettlement. After getting crushed between two cars, he needed rest and rehabilitation. He couldn't keep working on his feet every day. But that gave him the opportunity he was looking for to break out of his rut. Sometimes I say, this injury was bad, but also opened doors for me. Like, it was good and bad injury for me. Ahmed was starving to learn English because he wanted to connect to people his own age. He picked up classes wherever he could find them. And one of his favorite spots was at a cafe that has a weekly meetup where he can have conversations with other students. People from all over would come to practice with a group and a tutor. Ahmed and a few other students in the class didn't really understand each other in English, so... When we met, our English was broken. He was speaking Portuguese, and she was speaking Spanish, I was speaking Arabic. But we were all laughing at the same time, like, we didn't know, we didn't know what's, what's happening, you know? But we managed to understand each other, even we don't... We have uh, small English, you know? Ahmed made friends fast. So I pick up Spanish, Portuguese, French, Russian, you know, like all of this. Yes, we, we. A poquito, a poquito. They even made a WhatsApp group called Seville Friends, where they still check in and give each other updates. After six months of English classes, Ahmed felt it was now time to start looking for another job. He had mostly healed, but was left with a slight limp. And he did find a job, but not in the way that you might expect. One day he went to buy a TV. Like his dad, who was nicknamed Angelina Jolie, Ahmed's really social. So he got to talking to an employee at the store who mentioned that the store was hiring. He thought Ahmed should apply, and he gave it a shot. When the manager asked... Ahmed's reference, the store clerk who sold him the TV, if he was a good candidate, the clerk said, yeah, he bought a TV from us, so I think so. And just like that, Ahmed started working in retail. Ahmed didn't imagine that he would start out in the warehouse with no interaction with customers, but as his English improved, he worked his way up. And when he did finally start interacting with customers... Hello, how are you doing, sir? You have your time? It was exhilarating, but it wasn't always pleasant. Like, one customer saw my name, and he says, uh, Oh, they haven't reported you yet? I hope you they will. One guy told me, When is the next terrorist attack you're planning to do? And I was like, Oh my god, I was, I was so nice to you and stuff, and I, I get treated like this. And my co-worker was just shocked. He says, I am so sorry you go through this every day. I mean, by definition, it is trauma. This is Dr. Hyojin Im, an associate professor at the Virginia Commonwealth University School of Social Work. She works with refugee and immigrant communities, developing programs that support their mental health. She explains that the first step on the road to resilience is to call trauma what it is. So in the past, maybe I would call just refugee challenges or difficulties. I now can say this is really the trauma. The next step is to build services within the healthcare system that account for the fact that trauma impacts mental and physical health. 
And now we can talk about the trauma-informed care, how they, the principles or approaches can be applied to our system in the refugee services. During the resettlement process, healthcare is pretty much limited to an initial health visit where nurses check that vaccinations are up to date and that the most outwardly medical concerns are taken care of. But that doesn't account for the mental symptoms of trauma. We know that our mental health care system is not that culturally sensitive or even linguistically, right? So we already know that a lot of trauma is going on in the refugee community. So if we are not addressing in the proper way from the beginning, focusing more on prevention, if we don't do that, especially during the even resettlement phase, which is typically 30 days to 90 days or even just less than a year to most of the people, um, a lot of people, the first time many refugees get exposed to mental health services are through involuntary, kind of as an involuntary client. In other words, if you've got layers of trauma from your home country, then from leaving your home country and from resettlement that build and build on top of one another and that go unaddressed, you're more likely to develop a serious mental illness or find yourself in a bad relationship with the law. It's very dangerous in a way. First, uh, a lot of stigma actually kind of uh, even re-traumatize refugees who are in that system. When we are talking about mental health, we are talking about trauma and something kind of negative and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, very uh, tragic kind of the images. But actually, the community is very resilient. A lot of people actually don't need mental health services unless they get proper support at the beginning of the resettlement. So I think that we try to change the culture of our system through the trauma-informed care. To help refugees get the support they need at the beginning of resettlement, Dr. Eam created a special certification course, Trauma-Informed Cross-Cultural Psychoeducation Training, or TICCP for short. It sounds like it should be a course for doctors, but it actually uses a train-the-trainer method. It teaches refugees to become leaders in addressing mental health issues in their own communities. This is actually to build kind of foundation uh, for the community. And I think the one of the really important thing to address the access issue that all the community members experience is building relationship and bridging the communities. But Dr. Eam says that stigma is a major barrier to entry. Discussing mental health has been historically associated with illness, and mental illness can be tough to talk about, no matter where you're from. And so having a community leader you trust, who knows your traditions, experiences, and cultural nuances, makes a world of difference. So that's kind of the way we are thinking that this is very culturally sensitive, and also kind of empowering the community so that people actually reserve and continue their cultural practice through that network. During resettlement, community is hard to rebuild, especially if you're in a rut, like Ahmed was before his accident. And while he didn't want to leave America, he missed that support network he had at the refugee camp. Like I don't I don't miss the camp. I miss the community we built there, the, the friend. We've been there in good times, bad times, helping each other, support each other to go through this crisis there together. And Ahmed thought 
that if he was missing that kind of support during resettlement, odds were that other refugees were missing it too. Maybe he could become a resource for others and help create that network he longed for. And so in 2018, Ahmed took Dr. Eames course on trauma-informed care, joining students from 16 different countries. When Ahmed thinks about the course and his biggest takeaways, he describes feeling a sense of tranquility. It's kind of like yoga, but yoga, not yoga, you know, close your eyes and just take a deep breath and clear it out and say a few words. That kind of really was relaxing, you know. Ahmed learned how to validate the three kinds of traumas he experienced by connecting with others who experienced traumas as well. And even though taking a course on how to continuously talk about and process trauma wasn't part of his initial dream when he first arrived in Charlottesville, he has found a deep satisfaction in being involved in his community. I learned a lot how to deal, how to deal with trauma and how to take care of myself in order to take care of others. Working through trauma is an ongoing, everyday process. Ahmed even found ways to use what he learned in Dr. Eames course at work when he'd encounter hostile customers. And actually some customers I helped them, you know, with that. You know, just by talking and trying to kind of calm, calm them down, you know. And one of the customers actually said, I will enjoy talking to you. He was kind of relieved by talking and all this. Even Ahmed, though he's naturally social was stunned by the seemingly magical power of talking. The more I talk to people about my story, kind of calm me down, you know? Because if you keep it with inside of you, it's really hard. So it's good to have someone to listen, you listen to, they listen to you, you know? And that's, that's really helped. Like, um, that's how the trauma, I guess, stuff work, maybe. Talking to people, you know? Share empty themselves, you know? Not keeping it inside of them. Talking helped Ahmed release the weight of the three traumas, from the war in his home country, to the camp, to the loneliness of resettling without a community. After six sessions, Ahmed graduated from Dr. Eames' course with a leadership certificate and strong bonds with the people in his class. So, Ahmed, there you go. In the video of Ahmed's graduation, you can see him tearing up a bit. When we complete the, you know, the sessions, um, typically the question that I ask to the group is, what do you want to do now? Uh, most people just say, we want to continue. Uh, whether you come or not, I mean, you are always welcome, but we want to just continue because this is how we've been solving our problems in the community. Ahmed hopes to work with people whose experiences and trauma range from those he has experienced to those that he may have never experienced. So that also will help me if ever find a job with as a firefighter or, or rescue because people can have trauma and going through hard time. So that will help me how to, to learn to take care of them. That was Ahmed's new dream back in 2018. And becoming a firefighter, that part came true. Ahmed joined the Firefighting Academy in Charlottesville. He's learned how to respond to calls quickly, how to operate the hose and hook it up to the hydrant, 
have to throw ladders and do search and rescue. He's three months away now from finishing the academy. Almost 10 years after arriving to Virginia, Ahmed has come full circle from that initial run-in with fire in the refugee camp. He now feels more prepared, emotionally and tactically, to face fire. He even celebrated his last birthday with some of his new friends, the firefighting crew. Resettlement is tough. I've thought a lot about this, and I think resettlement may cause new forms of trauma for some, but for many more, it provides the challenging but precious opportunity to engage and process previous traumas. Not exactly wiping a slate clean, but more like the building of a stronger foundation to build resilience. And resilience looks different for different people. For many, that comes with storytelling. But not every refugee wants to share their story with the world, and that's okay. For Ahmed al-Suriya, building resilience meant finding outlets, like Dr. Eames' course. It also meant telling his story. He said that as he shared his story, he felt the parts of trauma locked inside of his body getting lighter and lighter. I can personally relate to that last one, and it's one of the main reasons why we're working on this series recognizing the stories in these communities, and then honoring those experiences. So next week on Resettled, we'll bring you an episode all about jobs. We'll hear from Dadi Niopani, who started out standing on the side of the road, advertising tax filing services. To be honest, I was just thinking, what would U.S. job would look like, you know? what I was supposed to do and how do I interact with people? You know, what would my role be? Uh, I didn't even know that I was going to wear a costume and dance. We'll follow Daddy as he navigates making the ideals of job security and professional growth into realities. Resettled is a production of VPM. It's produced by Jilda DeCarly and edited by Kelly Jones. Special thanks to Nazir Afzali and Jordi Yeager for contributing reporting to this episode. Our production manager is Gavin Wright. Our executive producers are Angela Messino and Catherine Comp. Steve Humble is VPM's chief content officer. And I'm your host, Ahmed Bader. Music is by Sandhill and Blue Dot Sessions. Be sure to check out vpm.org resettled to see more photos and stories from our community. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Members are a fundamental part of VPM. Member support is especially vital right now. Through member support, we're able to provide timely and fact-based information, educational resources for our kids, and informative and entertaining content to keep minds active and engaged. Be a part of what makes VPM possible. Visit vpm.org slash donate to become a member today. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more – 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. VPM.